Have you organized large scale events before? No. Before doors open? No. No. Wow. No, no. I, like I said, I was in sales and, you know, I never, I, it was weird. It was on my bucket list. This is a weird bucket list, but it, there's a segue. I wanted to be shot out of a cannon. I still, that still hasn't happened. And I, I wanted to plan like events. I, I wanted to be an event planner. I, and I, you know, I, I don't know why, but uh, I had this desire. And like I said, when, when I, uh, it really doors open really was intended to be a hobby. I just thought, okay, I'll do this, you know, two day event. We'll see who shows up. And I was sort of stupefied in a good way. 2016, when there's like 3,500 people that showed up and the emails and the phone calls that I received over the next two, three weeks up to a month. And people were just like, they were so generous and kind in their comments. And there was like this outpouring of appreciation that I had never experienced because I've been in corporate my whole life. There is no outpouring of appreciation. It's like, if I got a bonus check, that was as close as I was going to get to an outpouring of appreciation. But to actually have people take the time to write an email or make a phone call to say how much they appreciate the opportunity to explore their own hometown or if they were a tourist. Wow, I had no idea Pittsburgh had all this going on. What lovely architecture and so diverse. To hear all that and get that feedback, it was it was it was pretty amazing. The PGH Museums Corporation presents to you the new Pittsburgh Exposition, the area's premier podcast highlighting our regional's cultural resources, attractions, and exhibition, as well as meeting the people involved in their conservation. Now, here's presenter Brian Crawford with the program. How many days did you go without sleep that first year? <laughs> Very limited sleep. I, I do need sleep. I, uh, I have a lot of energy, but... I talk about naps, but I rarely actually allow myself to have them. So yeah, it was, you know, it curtailed my sleep a little bit, but I, I'll be honest. Uh, and I know, you know, this too, firsthand when you're, when you're working on a passion project, which for me at that time, uh, and it still is doors open Pittsburgh. It, I was just, it was just pure adrenaline. So sleep really was kind of secondary to some degree. <laughs> no, I get that. I, I think of the one year during the Millville Music Festival, I think I averaged maybe two hours a night for yes. a month or something like that. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, moms, especially new moms and, you know, business owners, I, I just think, you know, we're kind of on the same plane with that. You just you do what you have to do to get it done. For the PGH Museums Corporation, this is the new Pittsburgh Exposition. I'm Brian Crawford. Today's story will focus on Doors Open Pittsburgh, a unique touring organization that does a variety of events including massive tours where you explore a plethora of buildings across the single Pittsburgh neighborhood, to boat tours, single-stop tours, and even mindfulness walks. Shout out to my man, Jim Ellermeyer, and the Fishing Without Bait podcast who leads those. This story focuses on Doors Open, but it's not really about Doors Open. The story is about passion. Passion meeting passion. Passion materializing. One person with an idea who had the gumption to see it move forward. This story is about a community willing to say yes. A community who gave this idea a chance. It's about the people who've signed up onto this idea so it can grow and turn into something really special. I put together a lot of large events in my lifetime, and I know firsthand what it takes. The sleepless nights, the aggravation, the apprehension, the excitement, and the joy. I know what it's like to start an idea and to see other people come to it and make it their own. The Doors Open Pittsburgh downtown event may be my favorite event in the city. There's a Pittsburgh colloquialism, be nebby. It means you're getting into someone else's business. 
That's what Doors Open encourages. You get into someone else's building, and you see something that you never probably would have thought to go check out. And you learn something about that place. Bonnie Baxter never put together a large-scale event in her life. Since 2016, she's reached more than 22,000 people with her events. It all started in Chicago. I know you started Doors Open. The first one is in 2016. And you were still working at Nielsen. And that was based out of Chicago. Were you working from home? Or if you were in Chicago, how did you make all that work to get the first Doors Open running? So, yeah, I was living in Chicago when I started the paperwork to have the organization recognized as a 501c3 nonprofit for us to get that status while I was living in Chicago. So that whole process started in 2015. And then at the end of 2015, we started transitioning back to living in Pittsburgh full time. I still maintained my position with the Nielsen Company, but we were going to make a total shift back back to Pittsburgh by the end of 2015. So 2016, uh, I was based here in Pittsburgh, back to full-time in Pittsburgh, and was able to plan for the first event around hours that I was working out, you know, my corporate job. And I was always very thankful for that time difference between between Chicago time, uh, I'm sorry, Central time and East, Eastern time, because that 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 gave me some wiggle room with my, you know, my corporate calendar uh, and those clients I had to service, as well as you know, m- meeting with buildings and other organizations here in Pittsburgh to get them to you know buy into the idea of doors open and help support it by opening their doors with us. Right. How many months? Well, obviously, you started the paperwork in 2015 yeah. to get the 501c3, but the actual event, the, na- the neighborhood event, Yes. how many months in advance of the event did you have to start working on the planning to make it all happen? So I started probably th- 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 November, December, just sort of reaching out to organizations like the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership and introducing myself and saying, hey, I'm moving back from Pittsburgh or from Chicago back to Pittsburgh. I am a native Pittsburgh because you know how it is in Pittsburgh. People want to do business, mm-hmm. you know, from from Pittsburgh, and that's great. We're very loyal to each other. So I started sort of having those conversations, uh, Pittsburgh history and landmarks, just sort of saying, "Hey, here's who I am. I, I kind of you know want to bring this from Chicago to Pittsburgh. You know, can I count on promotional support?" And then by January, I was working on reaching out to the buildings. I had this target list of buildings in downtown and the downtown partnership, you know, helped me define the boundaries a little bit better. The executive director at the time at Pittsburgh History and Landmarks, Louise Sturgis, was extremely helpful in giving me some, like that building roadmap and contacts where she had them. And the rest of it, I just cold called. So I would say January, Brian, and we again presented that event in the first weekend of October. So the, the ramp up time was eight, nine months, I guess. Yeah, I always feel for a large event even like a bigger medium size event you need almost a full year for at least for the first year to make it happen it's not possible if you don't start that groundwork that much in advance and i don't think people realize the amount of time that you have to put in way before the event starts in order for it to be possible 
No, you're right about that. I had a, a good friend. She asked me um, right about a week before the event. So when did you start working on this? Like last month? And I was like, wow. And thank God she was a good friend because, I, you know, but I was sort of like, you're right. But how would you know until you've done it? But I, I what my response was, you know, remember that family reunion you were trying to pl- plan last summer? <laughs> for 50 mm-hmm. people. Do you remember how long you play, worked on that? And then she just start laughing. You know what I mean? So we all have, you know, throughout our lives to have an opportunity to plan an event, whether it's a birthday party at home or like a large family reunion. So I think if people just stop and think about it, you know, it, it, it makes sense that you need that kind of ramp up time, especially when there's so many moving parts to, you know, larger scale events. So what concepts did you take with you from Open House Chicago and what changes have you made? Great question. So the overall concept, that open house format where people are allowed to sort of ebb and flow and create their own itinerary, that came directly from Open House Chicago. The experiences, you know, I was always leading with the behind the scenes because that's kind of, you know, what they go for and what they, how they market it. Not always the case. And I was really sensitive to that because I didn't want to misrepresent. So I went for the behind the scenes, but there was many buildings that we were working with that really couldn't offer behind the scenes, but they could offer like a unique access uh, that perhaps, uh, like Heinz Hall, for example, we most of us have been to Heinz Hall, but on Doors Open Day, they allow people to stand on stage. So, or in one of our other marketing taglines was, you know, just hashtag be Nebby. We're just inviting you into these buildings because A, you may not realize they're there. You may have just continued to drive past them or walk past them. So I didn't really want to focus on the behind the scenes like they did. We did, but we also added, you know, the two other uh, monikers, you know, um, be Nebby, hashtag be Nebby and unique, unique experiences in addition to behind the scenes. The other thing, they they were real helpful. They gave me an idea of uh, how to train the volunteers. So that was helpful. I remember them sending me like a training presentation and I conformed it, you know, to our purposes here uh, quite a bit, uh, but uh, they gave me a great, a great roadmap. And then, of course, they scared me because they said, you know, on the second day, about 20 to 30 percent of your volunteers are not going to show up. And I will have to tell you, that's one thing. And again, it goes back to Pittsburgh. I hand it back to Pittsburgh and Pittsburghers. When we say we're going to do something as a Pittsburgher, we follow through. And I love that about Pittsburgh. Our work ethic and our word is, you know, it is what it is. People follow through. But I will tell you, on that second day in 2016, I was dreading waking up and getting, you know, anticipating getting a ton of emails from volunteers who were going to cancel based on what the Chicago people told me. And it didn't happen. And I will tell you every year since then, I can count on one hand how many volunteers cancel, but they do let me know. And it's usually for mm-hmm. a, or a family emergency. And that's unbelievable when you're, when you're, you know, working with anywhere from 150 to 250 volunteers, you know, over a day or two. And to have that kind of performance rate is almost unheard of. So I, you know, I feel very fortunate uh, that they're, you know, they're, they stand behind our brand and what we do, you know, to that extreme. Very, very lucky we are to have them. Where did you volunteer? Like, where were you stationed during the, uh, in 2017? I was at the county, city county building. I was at the mayor's office. I'd be going, you may go over here, don't go over there, go through here, and then you can make your little loop. That's Christine Montgomery. She's been volunteering with Doors Open since 2017. And I believe that year they, I, be, I could be wrong, but I think that year they were, were they allowing you into the archive that year? Oh, yeah. When you get into this, after they gave you your little spiel from the docent, then they allowed you to go into the city archive. They actually opened up the first 
the first book that was ever written in by the city officials, which was, and they were handling it with gloves, of course. Mm-hmm. But it was very interesting. If you didn't understand cursive, you couldn't read what they were what was writing written. Even if you could understand cursive, you had writing like too. Big loops and whorls yeah. and oh yeah. So, what was your experience going to the first doors open when you were out there as a explorer? What what went through your mind? What what did you feel about that? Being it was my first time, I didn't know really what to expect. I knew there were going to be docents. I knew there were going to be tours. But when I started going in there, I started to see that the docents were trained to speak about the the people associated with the buildings, when the buildings were built, what significance the building itself had. And they tell you, show you different parts of the building you can go to to see the various historical, you know, that still exists in the building. How do you find these volunteers and how do you get such talented, knowledgeable volunteers? I had my, well, I went to the boat tour. That was incredible. And I interviewed Todd before speaking with you, Todd Wilson. And it's just so much information, so much knowledge. Where do you find these people? Yeah, well, okay. So we have a couple of different things going on. So our event day volunteers, those are the volunteers that are going to greet people at those buildings when we present the large scale neighborhood events downtown or some of the other non-downtown neighborhoods. That was really uh, and continues to be, we we, we, we solicited. So I, I pulled volunteers from partnering organizations uh, like Pittsburgh History and Landmarks. I pulled, we pulled volunteers from universities and colleges. The, the, the first year, a couple years was a struggle. We, just, you know, we we're, we're, worked with folks like the AIA and pulled some of their members in as volunteers. And then that kind of gave us a good base. And then from there, we just start finding people or maybe people start finding us. Like they came to the event the first couple of years, like, wow, this is really cool. And they start talking to the people in the orange shirts, our event day volunteers. And, and you know, they're also pleasant. So like, well, how do I get to volunteer? I, it never fails that after every large scale neighborhood event, I get emails saying, hey, how do I sign up? And I just you know, refer them to the website. So it kind of like was a snowball effect. Now, as far as our walking tours and our boat tour, those are tour guides and those are those folks get paid. I mean, they are definitely subject matter experts. They curate their tour experience, especially the walking tours. The boat tours, you know, we all worked together and collaborated on what the theme should be. This, again, is a new a, a new uh, tour format for us. But Todd and Paul and Justin, they're just subject matter experts in, in the theme that they're going to be speaking about. So those folks uh, do get paid. So we have a combination of things going on here at Doors Open in terms of how we present and how we curate our content. So how did you get involved in Doors Open? So... I remember back when Doors Open was having its very first downtown event. That's Todd Wilson speaking. He's an award-winning transportation engineer and the tour guide for the Doors Open Pittsburgh Boat Tours. He also shares incredible pictures of bridges on Instagram. You could follow him at PGH Bridges. And it's like, and it seemed so exciting to be able to go downtown and um, check out the interior spaces of buildings that you know, I had seen my whole life, right? And, you know, I've always been interested in architecture as well. So it was, so I was really excited to do that. And I was just became a regular attendee at Doors Open events. And then um, during the pandemic, the director was looking for somebody to do their virtual storytelling series. 
and to do a virtual storytelling of Pittsburgh Bridges. And you know, you know, reached out to me. I was like, sure, I'll give a presentation for Doors Open. So I did that. And then when talking with uh, Bonnie, the director, one thing that you know, like other cities like say Chicago have are the architectural tours that talk about their buildings and bridges. And while the Gateway Clipper itself provides an excellent tour of Pittsburgh, it's not really to the level, it's more of just a general tourism level and not like the type of tour that somebody's going to go in to learn about very specific um, things. So while Doors Open is certainly very family friendly, it's also not necessarily a tour for just a general audience. It's more of a tour for an audience that is very interested in something like buildings or bridges or history. So in um, working with, so therefore in working with Doors Open, we decided, well, let's try, you know, kind of replicating the successes of Chicago by doing um, a buildings and bridges tour. And due to, you know, strong interest locally, we've been expanding on that concept and offering, trying to offer you know, the greatest variety of tours that we can within uh, you know, a typical 90-minute sailing time. How has your professional and personal experience helped in organizing Doors Open? Wow. Well, uh, my professional experience, I, I was in media sales, advertising sales my entire career, my, you know, my pre-Doors Open career. And I will tell you that, that was, that's what allowed me to to develop doors open to the extent that it's been developed because I was constantly selling. I was selling the idea to the buildings. Hey, do you want to become involved? And here's why. Not that they have to pay to be involved, but just selling the concept of getting involved with us that way. Then I would go out and sell sponsorships to corporations, which, you know, I was comfortable talking to corporations because of my advertising background. Uh, in media, uh, the, the foundations, that was a little bit of a learning curve. And uh, quite honestly, it still is because it's a different language, you know, than the corporate background that I have. So that, that's that been a, a challenge and a learning curve for me. But it was sales. It was my sales training uh, that I got over the years in media and the media industry and my, you know, 25 years of, of, of selling. And with that comes tenacity and trying to think outside the box and approaching things at different angles just to get something to work, to get to that finish line. I'm also a very driven person. I'm a self-starter and and, and an initiator with a lot of things, just certainly my professional life, but, you know, personal life as well. It's just how I run my life. And again, I I think that's something that I was always that way. But when I, with my sales background, my professional background, that skill set really was refined and developed, you know, in my professional life. So I think some of it was just my innate characteristics, but a lot of it was in my professional sales experience. Yeah, I I, I have a hard time joining someone else's thing sometimes. Like yes. I'm very much like you said, a self starter, yes. but it's like I know how I want to do things, yes. and it's hard sometimes <laughs> to go into something. And and I think that's why I often start my own projects as well. I'm glad you said that. I feel the same way, and you know, and I, you know, and some people misunderstand it as if you're, you're trying to be controlling, and that's not what it is. You you know, I think people like us we're, we're, we have a vision, and not to say that we can't take input because I certainly have over the years. I've had a sure. lot of help and ideas extended to me, but when it comes right down to and I'm sitting there at 11 o'clock at night or midnight pining over something to just make sure it's as perfect as I think it can get. I will consider input, but ultimately to your point, Brian, and this sounds a horrible way of saying it, but I want to do it the way I want to do it. And I, I go with my gut. And I will tell you professionally, 
in life, whether it's been with doors open or, you know, when I was flipping houses, rehabbing houses or in my professional sales career, if there was a time and I can count on one hand, if there was a time that I went against, against my own gut and leaned too much on someone else's opinion, it blew up in my face. And, and I, and yeah. that's incredibly arrogant and I don't mean it to come across that way, but, but I, I think you understand having gone through it. Sometimes you just have to trust your gut. You know, you can, you just need to, you just need to follow that roadmap. Not, not that anyone else's ideas don't count or they're not as good as, but, but you, you just know it's innate to you. Do you know what I mean? Of how you need. Yeah. And I think there's a difference, at least, at least with the way I operate, I'm sure it's similar where there's the overall vision yes. and then there's the particulars. So I, you know, if I have an expert who believes this and it doesn't conflate with the overall vision, yes. I tend to go with their opinion on things, but in, I often will like kind of work as a democracy, but I have this like one vision and sometimes yes. somebody will try to like go off of that. And I'm at that point, I become like super stubborn and it's like, <laughs> no, we have to do it this way. And I, and, and it's, I think shocking sometimes to people because I'm so easygoing with yes. this democratic approach to things, but then there's just certain key points where it's like, no, this is, you know, what we have to, exactly. to do. Exactly. Like with PGH museums is a good example where people have tried to get me to accept money from museums. So you can get this museum to, to pay to become an affiliate. And yes, that would be an easy way to make money, yeah. but then that defeats the whole concept of what we're doing to yeah. create this platform where you don't have to have money to get the exposure. So it's sometimes to my detriment, but I think it creates a more wholesome and yes. honest yes. product. I, yeah. pure. I, it's pure to the mission. I get that. I, same thing with doors open. I, I, I get that. I totally get that. What are some of the biggest, speaking of challenges, what are some of the biggest challenges that you come across putting these events on? Honestly, first and foremost, it's the funding. We've always struggled to get foundation support. Uh, that's not to say we have not. Allegheny Foundation has been a ongoing uh, supporter of Doors Open and, and, and really totally appreciate their help that way. Uh, the Benter Foundation has come in and out of support with doors open, the Fine Foundation, so and the Grable Foundation. But in terms of just a you know overall funding, uh, we, you know we don't we don't we don't really fit into any one bucket when you look at you know funding traditional funding guidelines. So you know we've had to get creative with sponsorships. You know really until COVID, and we got some COVID relief grant um, grants. We weren't able to hire staff. Uh, you know I, I just basically ran the organization. And once, you know, COVID happened, I hate to say this because it was such a horrible thing for so many people, but for doors open, because we did get some COVID relief funding, it allowed me with board approval to go hire, you know, a couple part-time people. And that's when we really expanded our programming. You know, we went from, you know, that one or two day event downtown to, you know, 120 to 140 combination of tours and events, walking tours, insider tours. Most recently we added boat tours and then we increased the number of those neighborhood events, what we used to call the neighborhood event, uh, the annual event downtown, we now repurposed and rebranded as neighborhood events. And not only were we presenting downtown, but we're presenting non-downtown neighborhoods. So I don't know. I don't know. I lost my track. So hopefully you're going to edit that out. I'm trying to thought. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh... No, I got I got. No, I lost. It's okay. I got my revenge because I didn't edit it out. Anyway, Todd knows a whole lot about bridges. And 
I struggle to imagine how he is able to condense all of his knowledge and make it accessible to the regular person. So I asked him about it. Well, and to clarify with that, the challenge isn't necessarily to dumb it down. The challenge is that the you know you're you're limited in what you can see, right? So if I'm giving a presentation, I can have detailed slides to really show the audience what's happening. But looking at a bridge from a riverboat, it's really hard to tell that you know that to tell that complete story. It's hard to say here's how a bridge works with arrows pointing to what the forces are doing. So therefore, at least you know, we provide these supplemental photos that people can look through, whether they're on the tour or on their own time after the tour, to try to at least tell that story or show us how something was built or show the bridge that was there before. So that's kind of the, the you know, you know that you're talking to an engineer when they stop what they're doing and start drawing something. And that is the challenge to me is that I can't stop what I'm doing and draw something. And the other interesting thing about giving a riverboat tour compared to any other type of, um, say, presentation is what you can control versus what you can't, right? Because if you're giving a presentation, you have a distinct, you know, an allotted time and you do what you can in that allotted time. But in uh, giving a riverboat tour, you can't control how fast the boat is going. You can't control how much time you can talk about any one bridge. And you, as far as both buildings and bridges, they're all clustered together. So what do you do in a downtown where you're going past a bridge every minute versus when you're a little farther away from downtown and you might have five minutes or even 10 minutes? How do you make all of that work and give you know, and spread out that density? into something that um you know that makes sense so that's kind of the really unique challenge about doing a boat tour is what do you say versus what you don't and i resolve that or i try to resolve that by thinking the most important thing to talk about is what can make what the audience can see so if i can add any additional details great but otherwise, I'd much rather point out something or give a story or detailing about what the audience can see. And, and then some of the other details or stories might not get said because there's just not the ability to do so. Over the years, large events I have organized have been riddled with calamity. I organized a couple Relay for Life events, which are 24-hour fundraisers for the American Cancer Society. In one event, the first year, we had such a big windstorm. People's tents were flying and almost like diving towards people trying to walk around the track. It was a total crazy weather situation. Another year, we moved to a park and all of the public lights that were supposed to stay on, they all turned off. And we had to light the entire event with luminary candles. The first Millville Music Festival, a giant festival in Millville with 20 venues and hundreds of bands, the first event, one of the sound systems at a stage goes out, and I'm literally biking with a soundboard in the bike basket to get to the stage to keep the music playing. All of this happened in just a few events. It seems like every event I plan has a situation like this. I wonder if Bonnie, with doors open, has experienced a calamity of her own. 
Uh, boy, I hate to, I even hate to, uh, uh, field questions like that. Cause I'm like, I'm going to cross my fingers when I say this and knock on wood. No, we have never had a doors open disaster. And God, I hope by saying that I haven't just jinxed the entire organization. We need to this season. My God, Brian. So yeah, no, nothing really. Like I said, our volunteers are solid and they're very responsible. Um, the building, same thing, very solid. They deliver on exactly what they say and you know, in terms of how they're going to present and open themselves for the events. Um, our sponsors are great. They cross promote, you know, where and when they can consistently. I, you know, I, you know, even with some of the funding challenges, I mean, that's every nonprofit is is experiencing that. We're we're not alone with that. So um, no, I have to say no. And gosh, I hope I'm not jinxing. Like I said, I hope I'm not jinxing the organization. But no, there I can't I can't. No. Uh-uh. I'm so that's sorry great. that you've had I'm that. Glad. I'm sorry that you've had that experience, but No, yeah. you know what? I, I've had that experience multiple times. And it <laughs> always seems to it, it always seems to work out. You know, a lot of times it's like best laid plans. You know, we yes. Millville the one year for the festival, it was like torrential downpour and lightning yeah. and everything else. And you know, we made it happen. But that event, like we have a lot of outside stages where there is no you're not walking from yes. building to building, yeah. you're just outside. So, you know, we've had those issues, but it always seems to to come together yeah, in the end. Yeah, we've had so. a couple. Mother Nature always, we always joke that, you know, it's a doors open day. You know, thanks. We sent an email to Mother Nature. She really w- w- has been very good to us. But I will say two years ago, we did get a torrential downpour. You know, the, the, the event tent in Market Square, like, practically blew away. Uh, that was kind of exciting. And then, you know, last year with downtown, it, again, in the afternoon, there was a little bit of a torrential downpour. But People were still buying tickets and coming out. And we had a similar experience in Northside in May of last year where it rained all day and it was chilly and cold. But people were buying tickets because I get alerts on my phone like all throughout the event day. So, it, you know, to your point, you know, uh, it didn't it didn't scare people off because they were just really hopscotching, you know, from one building to another. But I would say Mother Nature, you know, would probably be the worst case scenario. But, you know, who am I to speak against her? So she feels more power than I do. (laughs) What got you interested in architecture? Uh, huh. Well, um, I think just, you know, I'm a, I'm a layman when it comes to architecture. I, I think people, you know, think that I can, you know, rattle off architectural terms and, and styles and whatnot. I, I am I am not that person. But 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 I've always had a sense of like when I walk into a space, whether it's a building or a house, you know, I, I did a lot of house uh, re- residential house flipping from you know, through my thirties, uh, into forties, I, I, you know, rehabbed about 30 houses or so over 30 houses. And I always, and I did the same thing when I walk into the late the building, but I, I think when I walk in, I get a visual and then I, I, I've always been able to visualize how it could be and, 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 you know, how it could be improved or, or in some way, whether it's the floor plan or the aesthetics. And again, very layman, I'm not trained in any of this, obviously, it's just my own taste and my own preferences that sort of come out. So I, I, I guess that kind of carries over into like a building. Like when I walk into a building, I, I have a general emotional feeling unless I'm in a big hurry and I'm just like, you know, being, you know, uh, I'm not paying attention, but generally when I'm relaxed and I can walk into a building, you know, check it into a hotel, uh, you see things when you're on vacation or you're just, you know, having lunch with a friend and you're more relaxed and you can actually Take the time to notice the aesthetics around you. That has always sort of lit my fire. I, I've always been amazed by the ideas that these architects and these designers uh, come up with. Uh, just like these minds are masterful, and I, I really have an appreciation for it. My mind can't go quite that far, 
but I can't appreciate what I'm seeing. And I just feel like I can't be the only person in that position who walks into a building and has this literally like an emotional feeling about the aesthetics or about the building itself, like a vibe you're just getting from it. So I just think it's kind of cool to you know, curate that and present that to people because I think a lot of people have that feeling. I have always been a history person since I was young. It's like the history of Pittsburgh. I loved go to the museums, the art museums. It's just 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 to find out how how that piece of concrete came to be, how that person created that concrete. You know, it's, it it's just it is interesting, and then more and more it goes back. You f you find out that that piece of concrete has more history than me and my father. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it's it's it is it's and you, and you find out that that concrete has has additives into it that they don't do today. Yeah, it's, it's it is it is very interesting to me. What sparked your interest in bridges? So I was. You know, I was always interested in bridges. I don't recall a time when I was not interested in bridges. And I think that really stems to when I was little, my older brother was interested in bridges. And my uh, parents were both in various art-related fields, where my father was a, a commercial photographer in Pittsburgh. So, you know, we think about now going around the city and taking these Instagram-worthy photos. But, you know before doing that, before social media. And my dad certainly um, was somebody who took a lot of city photos. And my mother, being an art teacher, saw bridges as a subject matter to draw. So um, I think what the Veterans Bridge opened in maybe 1988, 89. And I remember you know, the, the bridge was open. So uh, we took a drive across the bridge and just being a little kid in the backseat, I don't remember. I was like, well, where's the bridge? Because uh -huh. <laughs> you couldn't see anything. But I mean, the point, point being is that going back that far, again, being such a young kid in the back of the car, I mean, I know I have bridge pictures of Pittsburgh bridges that are dated 1990. So I would have been six years old then. Oh, wow. So that's cool. Maybe even five, maybe even five. So either five or six. So that being said, I don't really remember a time that I wasn't involved in Pittsburgh Bridges. And I think a lot of that, again, was just that with an older brother who's looking at them, therefore the younger brother has to look at them too. And therefore that becomes the thing. So Now, did the love of Bridges carry on with your older brother or did he move away from Bridges and you stuck with it? So he still appreciates them. He still likes them, but he didn't continue um, being focused about them, meaning it's something that he enjoys, but he doesn't research them. He doesn't really photograph them. He's not going to go far out of his way to see them. When you're really ambitious and you want to start something new, you sometimes run across doubters. I wonder if Bonnie ran into any doubters as she was pitching the idea of Doors Open Pittsburgh. Yeah, you know, I have unless I was unaware because I I tend to if I I'm like a like a, a like a dog with a bone in its mouth when I get an idea in my head I am I'm crossing that finish line like I the, you know, I will mm -hmm. clear a path in a nice way a very but I I will get to that finish line so I don't unless I wasn't aware I don't recall anyone being like really you think you're gonna do that I recall my wife at the time saying I had a feeling. 
you said you were going to bring this to Pittsburgh after we attended the, I just had a feeling you were so smitten with that event, you know, in Chicago, I had a feeling you were going to do this in Pittsburgh, you know, people like Louise Sturgis at Pittsburgh History and Landmarks and Karamaji, who's still there. You know, my first meeting with them, first of all, they, they even gave me a meeting because, you know, I came from advertising. I, I was not running in these circles of nonprofits and, you know, uh, nonprofits that were, you know, sort of specializing, focusing on history and architecture. So these these people didn't know me from Adam. And I come in and say, explain to them, yeah, I'm living in Chicago now, but I'm moving back. And, hey, I have this idea. I experienced it. I think I can pull it off. I've never planned an event, you know, will, will you jump on my train? You know, could you help cross promote, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I remember sitting across the table from them and they're like, yeah, yeah, we, we, we did something similar. Uh, we'd like to see now what you can do with it, but we, you know, we'll help, you know, in any way we can. And then to watch that relationship grow. And then to tell, to have Louise tell me after the event, you know, the first time I met you, I, I didn't have a doubt. She goes, I didn't know you from Adam. She goes, you came in to us as a complete stranger. We had a you know, half hour, 45 minute meeting. But when I left, I mm -hmm. had no doubt that you were going to pull this off. And it made me feel really good. Do you know what I mean? Because, you know, when you put yourself out there uh, in that way, and you're asking organizations that are, you know, they've been around for a long time and they're very grounded, the Pittsburgh Downtown Partnership. I mean, these are like, you know, sage benchmark organizations that really do a wonderful job of representing, you know, particular assets in Pittsburgh. So when you're asking them to partner with you as an individual, and they're very well aware, that this program is done in other cities, but it's 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 you know supported by a larger mothership, you know sort of, sort of organization. But you're just going to sit at your dining room table and crank this out. Uh, you know, I have to give I have to give it I have to give it to them for them having the confidence in me and trusting their namesake because you know we we included them in uh, promotionally as well. So I you know I have to give it back to those types of organizations that. That, that believed in me and believed in the idea of Doors Open Pittsburgh. Most people, I feel most ideas die because people have it in the back of their mind that this company, this organization is too big or they're not going to say yes and they don't ask the question. I always ask. You have to ask. I always of ask. Course. It doesn't matter. You know, the worst they could say is no, exactly. but I feel more times than not, people will say yes. Yes. And that's going back to, you know, personally for me, uh, I don't know where yours comes from, that tenacity, but but it, it's for me, it was my sales career. I, I never took no for an answer. I just figured we just haven't gotten around to a yes yet. You, you just haven't seen the light yet. It, do you know what I mean? And that that's always that's kind of my perspective in life in general. You, you just haven't yeah. seen the yes yet. So my tenacity comes from being such a, a klutz for <laughs> a better word. Like I, I, fumble through things so much and it's so aggravating just that I just am determined yes. that I, I'm going to do it. And sometimes it's like, I, there might be an easier way, but once I like, I'm like, no, this is going to happen. Yes. And I will fight through yes. and just make it happen because I get so aggravated of the <laughs> things falling, you know, like I, it's even on simple things. I mean, there's large projects where it's like that, you know, like, like I remember like one show, you know, I, I, when I was doing a streaming talk show and somebody turned the, the entire power out accidentally because oh we didn't have light bulbs we had like switches you know on a breaker box yeah. you would have to turn on and off in our building so like that came on the internet didn't work it was like but i was determined this show would happen i ended up punting a netbook because it yeah. wasn't working but we we made it happen the show went off it's just like i i find a way i just have to yeah find yeah. a way yeah Absolutely. No, because you put yourself out there. Your names, you know, you're attached to that. You you have to see it through, right? Right. How did you feel 
inside after the first neighborhood event, the first downtown event, what what feelings were going through you? Uh, Is it describable? Yeah, well, yeah, because it, it still happens every every event, even if it's a walking tour and there's, you know, 20 people there versus a couple few thousand, you know, at a neighborhood event. It's almost the same feeling. But that first one, it was probably more, it, the feelings were probably more intense or more exaggerated, but they're still there. And I that's what I love about this. It was like, wow, I can't believe people, people like got, jumped on my train. Like, do you know what I'm saying? And it, it wasn't my train. I stole the idea from Chicago. Again, I want to be very clear. And Chicago stole it from, you know, the, you know, New York and Toronto, who's been doing it, and they stole it from Europe. So, I mean, this is a wonderful idea, right, to get people engaged with their city and their architecture and the history. But but I was like, wow, I can't believe people jumped on this train. I can't be- like from the volunteers to the buildings to people who, you know, who showed up. And I think I was like, wow, like that was that's really cool. And I, I had a really I had a sense of pride not just, you know, for what I felt like I accomplished, but but a sense of pride that, you know, that for our city, that they came out to support this, that the organizations that I aligned with, you know, supported it. And they, you know, everyone couldn't have been nicer. And the whole process, whether it was, you know, engaging with volunteers and soliciting for volunteers, them showing up that day, them, you know, showing up for the in-person training, the buildings opening, they're actually opening their doors. Like no one bailed out the last minute. They saw their commitment through the, you know, the very limited sponsors that we had the, at that time, the, again, and the, the partnership organizations, I mean, everyone followed through with what they committed to and they jumped on the doors open train. And I just thought as I was sort of walking, watching people walk and kind of start pouring into downtown and I saw volunteers walking around with their orange shirts as this is like, you know, between nine, nine 30 in the morning, right before the event started at 10, I remember thinking, this is unbelievable. Like, wow. I have to tell you, it was like an ego thing. And that's, again, that sounds so incredibly arrogant, but it was like, it, it really kind of relayed back to all the effort and the, the cross effort that went into this. I, I just was blown away that it was actually happening. Like I couldn't believe for nine months of of conversations and meetings and discussions and go backs and follow ups that it actually was displaying itself. And then to get, you know, I wasn't able to get out into the event and experience it firsthand, but to get um, the feedback, to receive the feedback I got, I was like, honestly, I, I, I was, I was, I was touched and moved in a way that I hadn't, I had never experienced before that people really, really appreciated and how much they really love Pittsburgh. And it made me proud. It kind of reinvigorated my pride in Pittsburgh. I know that sounds odd, but it, it yeah, it had a lot of emotions. You can see I'm struggling trying to explain this because, but I, I, I feel that sense with every event when, when I'm, you know, there at an event, no matter how large or how small it is. It just, it's a constant reminder that people are appreciative when you have good intentions. And I think our mission is well-intentioned. And it, it just, it reinforces that. And it does, it, it, it really moves me in a lot of different ways. I, I, I love it. When you organize an event and you're watching it unfold, you can really feel the energy and the essence of the event in the air. You can actually feel it in your bones. It's a really, really interesting feeling. How do you keep people engaged in coming back? The doors open. Uh, well, you know, we, I, I don't think we quite have the answer to that other than, 
Uh, we try to produce, you know, we uh, uh, mindful, well thought out programming, whether it's a walking tour, we, we try to get into neighborhoods where we believe people have an interest in learning more and, and, and appreciating you know, what they're walking past. We try to engage people in our insider tours and bring them into spaces that they they might never knew existed or thought they never could get into. So we try to you know pique that curiosity. And you know, for the neighborhood events, we 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 really try to bring forward the vibe and the soul, the soul of the neighborhood, you know, with the buildings that 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 we that we work with to 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 have open for those neighborhood events and you know pull on in, you know, you know, public art, uh, local arts. And have those artists on site. We just recently started doing that. So, I, I you know, th that's kind of what we strive for. You know, every year with our programming. But what's the magic bullet? I, I don't know. I, I just, I we do have a lot of returning about, you know, anywhere from thirty mm, percent to half of our tours. No matter what kind of tour it is, um, they are they are they are return uh, repeat ticket buyers. So we. We must be hitting those benchmark goals, you know, uh, enough to have people come back. And I'm very, very grateful for that. But I think it's just the balance of of those things. And also, you know, coming up with new tours. I mean, this year we have at least a dozen new walking tours, insider tours. So, you know, kind of reinventing our wheel, you know, from year to year and giving people who are big fans and come to a lot of our events, giving them something new to look forward to every year. And I think lastly, I think our approach is... Um, you know, we really don't take ourselves that seriously. Like we're kind of, you know, we're professional. And like I said, we're mindful uh, in what we're putting out there. And we really try to, you know, uh, be flawless with our execution. And I think people see that, but, but, but we do like to have fun. I mean, history and architecture, oh, you know, when you say a lot of people just yawn or they think they got it, you know, or they get it. And, and we like to show, we like to present history and architecture and kind of a fun uh, layman, I hate to keep using that word, but in a way that that's relatable, I think is maybe a better word, you know, where you don't have to be a student or a professional architect or historian to, to really appreciate what we do. Like we, we want to, we want, we want it to be inclusive. Uh, so if, if you're like a person like me, where you just walk into a space and like, whether it's a house or a building, like, I, I think this could be done better or, wow, I, I, I just totally appreciate that what they did on that wall or where they put those columns or just the, the ceiling aesthetic, like, wow, who thought of that? So, I mean, we're really just trying to engage with people, I think, in a just a very relatable way. And I, I think that's been our secret sauce, quite frankly. What do you hope people walk away with when they exit the boat after the tour? Well, I try to end all of the tours talking about the intentionality of Pittsburgh Bridge design. Almost that, you know, I haven't read this in any book anywhere, but I think this should be considered the, you know, the Pittsburgh style of bridges because our collection of bridges are very distinct because of that intentionality of our style. Meaning that while, say, bridge design principles have been taken from all over the world. A lot of the bridges in Pittsburgh were designed, some were designed by you know, people who grew up here and some people were designed from, by people who from other countries that came to Pittsburgh to work. But what has, what the kind of the common theme is that because the Art Commission viewed the bridges structure itself, the bridges structure as part of the bridges artistic merit, 
our engineers, no matter where they came from, had to figure out how to design a bridge that was structurally beautiful. And as a result, the design of bridges that we have in the city are not the same designs that they would be otherwise. As soon as you leave, you pass the city limits, the design of bridges change. And you can see that on all three rivers where bridges like the New Kensington Bridge, the McKeesport Bridge, the Ambridge Aliquippa Bridge, they were built at the same time as all of the bridges in the city, and they look completely different. And that, if you think about that locally, you can also think about that nationally. So therefore, we had this very unique, distinct style that was limited to the city, it's, you know, at least, at least initially limited to the city itself for making structural art. And that's what we don't necessarily realize. And that's what I want the audience to understand is how much our bridges are structural art. So what are you hoping for the future of Doors Open? What, what are some things that you're hoping that they do? Or do you have any thoughts as far as... Probably some more neighborhood tours, probably, because they're now opening up the South Side mm -hmm. for the tours. And it's coming up in September. Is there a neighborhood in particular you would like to see? I probably would like to see Oakland because mm -hmm. I know they did an open streets. Pittsburgh just went through there. Mm -hmm. They opened a the neighborhood to them. So I would like to see Oakland open up because you got the Heinz Chapel. You got you got the Cathedral Learning. Not too many people have seen the rooms yeah. in the cathedral. And they're mostly open during Christmas time. You can just go in and just go around. Yeah. It's, it's, I would like to see the old parts. Of Oakland. That's what I would like to see. What is the future for Doors Open? Yeah, that's, you know, we always look, you know, year to year, you know, the first and foremost is, you know, financial sustainability. So we're already, you know, digging into that for next year. Um, so that's, you know, with, without that, there would be no Doors Open. And now that we have a, you know, you know, a, a couple part-time staffers, I mean, we, you know, we, you know, we have to be more conscientious of that. Uh, than in years past when, when it was just me. So I think doors open. I think you're going to continue, you know, seeing programming that's innovative and uh, really calls out the appreciation and celebration of Pittsburgh's architecture and history. I, I It's probably a little soon to, to, to tell, you know, specifically for next year, but I, I, I do feel that we're, we're going to just keep pushing onward and upward and keep developing, you know, um, relationships and partnerships with organizations such as yours, um, neighborhood organizations and just kind of keep this ship rolling because I, I think there's definitely a place for what we do. I mean, granted, we're not saving lives, but I do think we, we, you know, we bring some joy into people's lives. And and personally, uh, as the founding executive director, I, I, I really want to see that maintain and continue because I, I, you know, I, I think I believe in our mission and I believe in the way that we implement and present our mission. And, uh, and it's fun to see other people get on that train. What is your favorite doors open experience? What has been your favorite doors open experience? So, that, so that, that's a great question. And I mean, I still just really, you know, you know, I, I love views of Pittsburgh from high places. So I always gravitate towards the various, um, you know, anytime I have the opportunity with door, you know, the doors open specialty tours or the downtown neighborhood events, the next downtown neighborhood event will be in the spring. I love any time that I can get in a skyscraper, go up to like when we used to be able when like say the executive level was uh, 
available to tour on the, the you know the BNY Mellon building that was super exciting or like the co-working space and PPG I mean and and granted I mean for several years I worked you know in a downtown skyscraper so but I never really even took that for granted but just seeing like the various views of the city from various high places I'll leave you with this remark that kind of doors open touches on is I was reading a book about urban exploring years ago and the author noted that I, I guess I forget if this was this is in I think it was New York. It was either New York or Chicago. He said that there used to be 34 observation decks in the city, because especially back in the teens and the 20s and the 30s, buildings were generally built with observation decks because skyscrapers were new and exciting. And he's like, why is it that people who lived 100 years ago could get these views? And today, the buildings are still here, but I can't. And that's how that author got into urban exploring, because he wanted to go get on all of the closed observation decks. And Pittsburgh certainly has buildings that have closed observation decks. So because of that, it's just so exciting to me to be able to go and see some of these views and see some of these behind the scene things, then, you know, that doors open can provide that experience. And certainly the intent of doing the riverboat tours is also to try to unlock these other views from the bridges and really kind of to point out these hidden details as much as possible that might have been exciting back then and has been, you know, lost to uh, the collective memory. My favorite door oh yeah it's 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 the most recent one like that they did they did a promo of one boat tour that was last year they didn't know how popular it was going to be but it ended up being a sellout so this year they ended up doing six boat tours it ended up starting back in may and i ended up being on every one of them because it, it's 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 something you just don't go into the buildings you actually go on the boat you go on the tours and you learn not only about the bridges, but you learn about all the buildings that you're passing and who's all involved in those buildings and at what time of, of, of Pittsburgh it is. And it's like this recent one, we were on the Monongahela for a second time. I was on the Monongahela for a second time. Mm -hmm. So we learned about Hollywood Row, you know, where the Tamarinsons are and all them. And uh, we learned about the different, you know, the Liberty, is it the Liberty? Well, the hot metal bridge, you know. All... They did talk about the Liberty Bridge. I was there, actually. We were we were there. We were we were, were in there? the same. Yeah, we were on the same boat. We just didn't know each other. We probably passed each other. I was probably <laughs> in the orange shirt. Yeah, I, I, I definitely passed you because I, I stood there at the end while everybody walked off because I was waiting to uh, talk to a couple people and we, you know, went out to to eat afterwards. So I was one of the last ones off the boat. So I'm. I probably did see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just didn't the know, did you yeah. see a guy with like a blue shirt with rubber ducks on it? Yeah. That was me. <laughs> <laughs> that was me. I was the the rubber duck guy. What does it mean to you to have the opportunity to share your knowledge to other people? Because you're doing it through Instagram, but this is on a different level where you're able to to point it out and and talk to people face to face and, and share your knowledge. Absolutely. And I think that from, I like to say a higher perspective that, you know, everything looks, you know, 
you, you take things for granted or everything looks the same until you learn enough to realize that it's all different, right? Things aren't necessarily special until you get a certain level of, you know, until something can be really explained well. And that's what's so exciting to be able to do that is once, you know, I learned more about rather than just say taking pictures of Pittsburgh bridges, but learning that, well, this bridge looks like, say, like, say, for example, the Liberty Bridge. The Liberty Bridge looks like an arch bridge, but it's a cantilever bridge. And those two spans that are over the river, they look the same, but structurally have very, very, very different functions, right? Or learning that, well, the Bruno's Island Bridge over the Ohio, that the two different spans over each channel of the island, they were actually all built on the one side and the other side was moved. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that, that like when I learn about this stuff, I get really excited about it. So it's very, so that's what I really appreciate is being able to find what is so cool and so exciting to try to be able to share that with other people and say, look at this, look at what was done. This is great. So that's, you know, that's probably the best part. I got to ask, what was your, um, if you have to say like a single best experience with doors open, what would that be? Wow, that's hard. I'm a horrible person to ask, you know, like the best. I'm always asked, like, what's your favorite building? But, uh, ooh, boy, there's been so many, there's been so many best with doors open. The This experience in general, it's so different than the corporate world I came from. I mean, I have met so many interesting, incredible, kind people from volunteers to building hosts to you know, guests. I mean, I just had a conversation with a couple guests this past weekend on a tour that I that I I, I popped in on that we were presenting, and, and just you know, this woman like rolled out this whole other side of Frick that I had never heard about. Uh, some little anecdote that she picked up, and I think the engagement. I think you know what? If I had to sum it up, Brian, I think it's I think it's being tapped into other people's the, the, the sense of engagement and their passion. I think that if I could sum all of this up, that's what it would be, if that makes any sense. I, I have been allowed mm -hmm. to tap in to so many other people, and they're so different in, in so many ways than, 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 than who I am, and I love that. Uh, and I've tapped into like their curiosities or their knowledge and their passion. I think that overall has been my number one favorite thing about you know, doors open. I'd have to say that would probably sum it up. You brought it up. What is your favorite building in Pittsburgh? Oh, uh, <laughs> boy. Um, what, I didn't ask the question. Yeah, I like, I do like Art Deco. It's personally, it's just a, it's a, a favorite architectural style of mine. So often coppers, you know, it's probably the best example we, we have in Pittsburgh. But, you know, I like those classic, you know, traditional, like the William, uh, Omni William Penn. Uh, I don't have a favorite. This is horrible. I, I, I can't say that I have a favorite. I'm so sorry. Do you have a favorite bridge in Pittsburgh? So just with anything, I mean, I appreciate all of the bridges for what they are. So it's really hard to say, choose a favorite. Um, I'll say that, you know, I definitely, um, you know, how can you not love the Smithfield Street Bridge, right? So that's just such an, you know, an ex incredible example of a historic bridge. How can you, um, you know, the, the McCullough, the 16th Street David McCullough Bridge, is just you know was the first arch bridge built in pittsburgh and it was headed by I mean, due to the art commission and the project was headed by an architecture architectural firm 
So therefore that bridge is such a beautiful ornate bridge that really set the tone for beautiful bridges that that one certainly has to be up there. But then I also really, really love the McKees Rocks Bridge because you know, they, you know, the architects and engineers who worked on that bridge really considered driving across the bridge as contributing to its artistic merit. So if you drive across any bridge that has somewhat similar of a design, you just won't have the visual open lines between the inner and outer arches that you do with the McKees Rocks Bridge. And so therefore, how can you, it's just as a bridge to be impressed and enjoy driving across. I don't know if there's anything better than the McKees Rocks Bridge. So I'll give all three of those uh, my top pick. If you're listening to this podcast at its original airing, please check out Doors Open Pittsburgh's upcoming boat tour with Todd Wilson and Paul Tellers on September 16th, 2023. Stay tuned later this week. I'll be releasing my full interview with Todd that is just a wealth of fascinating information on bridges both locally and around the world. It was too good not to release on its own. September 23rd is the next Doors Open Pittsburgh neighborhood tour in Pittsburgh's south side. Go to doorsopenpgh.org for tickets and future events. Thanks to Bonnie Baxter, Todd Wilson, and Christine Montgomery for taking the time to talk to me. And special thanks to Renee Butler for connecting me with Christine. As always, thank you for joining me for the second edition of the new Pittsburgh Exposition. Shoot me an email with your thoughts or ideas on the program at brian at pghmuseums.org. I'd love to hear from you. Subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcast app. After holding these conversations, I feel a really strong connection with Bonnie and her story. Similarly to how she had no experience with event planning and then pulled off, in my opinion, one of the best series of events in Pittsburgh, I have no education in audio production or really any formal education in any of the projects that I have engaged in or started. But despite all of that, I never have talked myself out of any of them. Neither is Bonnie. And I just keep charging forward. I make my share of mistakes. I fumble through things. But you just keep moving towards the goal. And I hope you realize, if you're listening, that you could do this too if you just keep moving forward. If you have an idea, you can really make an impact on your community by just not giving up, learning what you need to, learning from others, and then making something your own. So I'll leave you with this last thought from Bonnie to close things out. For PGH Museums Corporation, I'm Brian Crawford. This is the new Pittsburgh Exposition. Thanks for joining. It was just if you had organized a, a no. large, yeah, yeah. No, I hadn't, but that was, that was, uh, I kind of just went with what we talked about for, like just before, just like an innate sense of, well, if I was attending an event and I do every time I travel, I like to do organized tours. Like I'll take a walking tour, especially ghost tours. I love those. So I thought, well, if I was attending an event and I've attended plenty of events and tours, there's some things that I saw that frankly were, could be, were a little sloppy and I didn't want to be that. I, I, you know, I thought if I'm going to do this, I don't want it to, I want the production value of the event not to be sloppy. Do we make mistakes? Absolutely. When I send out an email, are there typos? Yes. Cause I am, you know, I am not a great proofreader, but, but um, 
but as close to perfect as possible and as innovative and fun. You, you know what I mean? You know, I, I, so I just sort of kind of stuck true to my definition of all those things. And that was sort of my roadmap. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I guess I became an event planner. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this edition of the New Pittsburgh Exposition. You can support the program by becoming a sustaining supporter at pghmuseum.org backslash support. The new Pittsburgh Exposition is a production of the PGH Museums Corporation. All rights reserved.